Hello, I'm Mark Reed Edwards, Marketing Leader at HFS. Welcome to this HFS webinar. Today, Phil First, HFS CEO and Chief Analyst, will talk with David J. Brown, Global Head of Managed Services at KPMG US. First, let's get through some housekeeping. We do want to hear from you. We've set aside time at the end of the discussion for questions. If you'd like to submit one to Phil and Dave, just click the Q&A icon at the bottom of your Zoom window. That will open up a pop-up where you can type your question. Now I'm happy to introduce Dave and Phil. Dave leads the global build-out and execution for KPMG's managed services portfolio, including cloud ERP, cyber, risk, and regulatory compliance-related solutions. With more than 25 years' experience across global business services, IT, BPO, and shared services, he collaborates with the world's largest organizations to create sustainable service delivery models that support accelerated business transformation and multidimensional value beyond cost savings with minimized disruption and risk. Leading today's discussion is Phil First, HFS CEO and Chief Analyst. Phil is widely recognized as the world's leading analyst focused on the alignment of business operations and technology spanning over two decades. His reputation drove him to establish HFS research in 2010, which has grown into one of the leading global industry analyst firms and the undisputed leader in IT business services and process technologies. So let me hand it over to Phil to share the agenda and get things rolling. Phil. Thank you. Thank you. And just some housekeeping. Um, we do encourage a few of you to type in a question or two as we go along. We'll We'll attempt to get to as many as we can today or after the conversation. Um, if you don't know how to use Zoom by now, where have you been? But you'll see the little uh, Q&A icon in your Zoom window on your, on your uh, control panel. Okay, so we're going to uh, talk a bit about a year of certain uncertainty and how this is playing into what we're seeing with uh, the world of managed services, outsourcing, etc. And we're going to cover four points. So point one is around how managed services are really foundational in supporting this connected enterprise and one ecosystem. Um, point two is around uh, having a consistent and integrated service delivery that drives and ensures quality and success. Point three is looking a little bit at the trust and security around managed services. And point four is you really can't automate your way out of this war on talent. And we'll be talking a lot about, uh, obviously, the talent crunch, which is a big uh, impact behind what we're seeing in the industry right now. So we're calling 2022. It's a bit more of a great hurry than a great resignation. Uh, enterprises are trying to move quickly uh, to get where they want to. A lot of them have figured out um, what they need. Now it's just how, to, how do we get there and get there as quickly as possible with the right support, partnerships, expertise, et cetera. Um, fortunately, while COVID made another comeback, it doesn't look like this one's a long-term comeback, touch wood. Uh, we're, you know, with the conversations happening now will be markedly different in four to six months' time as we uh, reimburse ourselves into a world of physicality. This talent crisis is significant. This isn't some blip that we thought may have been driven by a pandemic. This is something that's going to plague us for at least three, four years out into the future. Um, and, and it's now about how do we move faster? How do we move into this ecosystem that we need to get to quickly? 
we're obviously seeing cloud migration to the cloud where a lot of enterprises are finally doing deals they should have done 10 years ago, maybe, uh, just to migrate uh, existing processes, technologies, architectures into a cloud borderless environment. Um, connectivity technologies are becoming massively relevant to enable not just client experience and employee experience, but also this partner experience affecting them that's so necessary. And we're seeing um, tools and capabilities like process mining and discovery becoming much more popular now than they have been. Things like RPA are very kind of established technologies now. They're not so much the flavor of the month. It's just very standard for what many clients need. Uh, we're seeing the emergence of digital associates much more, particularly in areas where there are dearth shortages of people and talent and conversational AI and its automation becoming increasingly important. Um, and successful client executives, we're hearing this time and time again, uh, more and more pronounced every time as well as they need to become great at two things. One is data, managing and governing their own data needs and their mini CEOs of their little data domains. And how do you manage change um, to be effective with, you know, we've seen a lot of complex virtual transitions. How do you manage teams in these hybrid models? How do you uh, shift uh, maybe old ways of doing things to new ways of doing things? How do you cater for emerging talent who may have different cultures and expectations than maybe some of the mid-later career talent that we have? Um, these are the two watchwords that are driving transformation. And then um, the big thing here is that service providers, they're at the heart of this. Um, you know, they're under huge pressure to execute, particularly in a talent-constrained economy. Um, I've been hearing from the leaders of a lot of the providers that they're very worried about, you know, the, the massive increase in travel costs, they're expecting the increase in wage inflation and attrition, which is really harming their pricing uh, strategies, for example. Uh, how do you execute? How do you retain talent? How do you stay in the game? Um, in a world where SaaS automation and outsourcing managed services are coming together um, in a very symbiotic way to meet client needs. Um, so just look over the last 30, even 40 years of uh, the world we've come from with, you know, the shared services, nearshoring phenomenon drove um, a lot of the offshoring and globalization of the early noughties to the onset of digital, uh, which has really combined with the boom in analog kind of outsourcing uh, around 10 years ago now. Um, we're existing in the world of one office today, which is about the front-to-back transformation to, I think, you know, we were calling this 2025. It's, it's now 2022. This one ecosystem of much more fluid, unstructured environments, the ability to look beyond the walls of the organization to create meaningful collaborations with companies across your value chain within your industry or in adjacent industries, the need to be more autonomous, uh, data-driven, and really go through this sort of final phase of widespread cloudification that we're seeing today. Uh, and, and a piece of Fortune 1000 data we pulled very recently um, is that 53% of the Fortune 1000, they're rushing ahead to deliver on the future. They've kind of figured out what they got to do. Now they've got to figure out how the hell to get there. And that's dominating the minds of over half of the executives within the, the Fortune 1000. A third of them are still trying to figure it out still. They're, they're sort of in this on pass of, okay, this is the way we were. This is the way we're going. How do we actually do this? How do we get the help? How do we plug the capability gaps? And then there's a smaller number looking to snap back and maybe revisit the world of the past 
um, where they, they remembered how things were done and they want to get back there. But it's pretty clear we're in a great hurry. We're in this push to get to that, um, to get to that next phase. And, and then we see we talk about um, the one ecosystem, which is really this evolution beyond one office. One office was all about front to back. Um, it's about the first time you know, many of these companies have had to go through a front-to-back transformation. I just talked about all the things we've gone through over the last few decades. And a lot of that was really, how do we do things a little faster, cheaper, more efficiently? How do we move data around the company uh, more effectively? Um, how do we start to wrap things around the needs of the customer? How do we bring the employee experience and the customer experience together more? How do we incentivize our employees um, to impact the needs of their customers more. So maybe let's stop thinking around order the cash and maybe think about customer the cash or, or how do we think about um, broader unified metrics that are essential because many enterprises never really had to change anything significantly until it was, oh God, we're now working in this remote hybrid economy. We have to figure out these breakages in our supply chain. How do we get orders from the customers and the employees um, more readily flow together? How do we actually um, change things to operate effectively in this hybrid world? And that's really driven a lot of the change that we're seeing as we move into you know, what we're now seeing more of a partner experience, um, which is much more around distributed infrastructure or ubiquitous connectivity. Um, how do we look at supply chain ecosystems, for example, because they're part of our value chain. How do we drive efficiency leveraging our suppliers, distributors, and finances. Um, how do we think about an industry ecosystem, which is uh, more about operating within our industry? It could be like multiple banks collaborating to improve trading. It could be mobile phone brands uh, collaborating to share components in manufacturing to get their time to market better. How do we work across industry, um, which are ecosystems, for example, in the airline sector, you've got regulatory approval between the airlines, the OEMs, the authorities. How do you get stakeholders in the healthcare, pharma, retail uh, value chain uh, who are all adhering to common regulations and ecosystems to improve vaccines, for example, in the pandemic? This is what we mean by, by one ecosystem. Um, so let, let's start by looking at this um, uh, way that how managed services are foundational in supporting um, you know, this one enterprise, this, this connected enterprise, this one ecosystem. And we pulled off some data. We spoke with, for the purpose of this study, 800 senior executives, both IT and non-IT decision makers uh, of managed services to understand a bit about, um, uh, you know, what criteria are they looking at when considering that? Is it innovation? Is it improving stakeholder experience? You can see those came up uh, very, very heavily, almost as much as cost savings now. And then, you know, how about getting more talent availability outside the company? How do you support digital transformation? Uh, and so, Dave, you know, talk to us a bit about, you know, uh, the connected enterprise and how you see uh, the drive towards managed services as part of that. Yeah, thanks, Phil. And glad to be back with you. It's been a while since you and I have done one of these uh, in quite some time. So good to be talking about this topic. Uh, it's one that I'm, I'm very passionate about. When, when you think about connected enterprise, to me at least, you start thinking about those three pieces of that stool where you've got your, you've got your customer, your partner, and your employee experience. 
And, and if you don't have focus on each one of those, it becomes a very wobbly environment to operate on. And that's, that's what I really liked about, we, we've been talking about the you know, one um, uh, ecosystem concept for a number of years now. It's just finally nice to see companies putting it into practice and having their partners, their service providers, um, their, their employees, operations, all starting to buy into that to understand the concepts. So for us, I mean, connected enterprises is, is really focused around customer-centric approach to digital transformation in general. So all the examples you're providing really starts getting at how do you make sure that it is staying connected throughout. The one thing I did like on this, this slide, though, is every single time we used to do state of the union uh, in the outsourcing market, costs were always number one, almost number one by far. It's incredible to see what's happened in the last couple of years around the talent shortage. And it isn't isolated to just buyers of services, but also the provider community itself has tremendous pressures um, that are actually affecting their talent today. And that has to get played into how do they build that talent? How do they sustain that talent that fits into this new way, this new ecosystem to be able to actually take a, a really measured approach around ensuring that their employees that they're onboarding understand the concepts that customer experience is extremely important, as well as the, the partner experience as well. So I think that's how it gets tied in, Phil. And this slide, again, first time I've seen it ever that you've got other than cost, you know, right there is number one is a significant importance for the next couple of years. Excellent. And then um, in terms of the uh, enablers for um, for doing this, um, you know, the, you know, we've seen here that that managed services are perceived uh, to drive this move um, across both employee experience, more pronounced than customer experience. But we're seeing it significantly improving on the on the customer experience levels. Oh, absolutely. And it, it just kind of reinforces the the point that we're making about the um, the one ecosystem that it's not one or the other it's now starting to in, embrace all of them and that's why I love seeing employee experience being as high as it is here and i think that just goes into how important talent has becoming as part of the build out for managed services it's a way to actually be able to um, i would say use a third party to shift some of the responsibilities and to be redeploy some of your employees into some more of your core areas. But the providers need to ensure that they have a similar ex employee experience as they're building out their solution set. So just as a good example, Phil, one of the things we're doing is ensuring that the way that we're measuring our employees and the way we're rewarding it ties into the customer experience that our solutions need to bring to our, our clients and making sure that that's tied into the overall objectives of our clients. And to, to me, what we're finding is the higher that our CSAT scores are coming from our clients, we're noticing a higher employee satisfaction scores as well on our side. And I think that's just, it's a metric that every provider needs to make sure that they're focused on going forward. Yep, absolutely. So without further ado, we're gonna start our first poll. And we've got a couple of these. And we have to start with the big one, which is the likely impact of the talent crunch on managed services in the next couple of years. Um, 
please select the most appropriate response that you feel significant to you, which is they'll become riskier as attrition bites. Managed services uh, will become more in demand uh, to provide insurance against talent loss. So you're going to do more to protect against losing people. Um, the third option is um, you think they're going to get too expensive to make business cases viable. And then the final option is um, you see them becoming critical for business continuity. So what's the most appropriate statement around managed services with the talent crunch that applies to your business? More in demand to provide insurance against talent. And then just behind that, critical for business continuity. And then very small numbers think it's going to be very expensive and a small number becomes risky. So this is overwhelmingly uh, in favor of um, managed services uh, in terms of talent and in terms of mission critical continuity. Dave, did that surprise you? No, I mean, we, we were hopeful, uh, Phil, when we had the chat about what, what the, the polling questions would result into. But the, the, the buyer community, the, our clients that we talk to, we're seeing this over and over again. It is clearly one of the biggest challenges is the uh, demand on talent. Um, and one of the easier ways is to look for third parties to do it. But I think what, what's surprising is, you know, how high critical for the business came out. And I know we're going to talk a little bit more about why we think that that's going to be more and more an important piece uh, going forward. Good. Um, in terms of then the financial impact from these things, um, and we asked uh, the enterprises what their expected financial impact over the next couple of years is using um, managed services. You can see here, people expect a big impact on uh, their cash flow in particular, their profit. In terms of revenue, um, quite significant marginal impact there. I mean, are you seeing this change much in the last decade, Dave, in terms of what clients are expecting out of these engagements? Well, we, we've always thought that they're looking to have a, um, a cost reduction. But what I think is, is more importantly is, is that sustained cost reduction and, and seeing it being reinvested over and over again. And what, what I mean by that is, you know, we, we like to talk about being a, a trusted journey partner. We've, we've known that when a client is going to go through some type of transformation, and that could be just, I need to outsource this piece of work. It doesn't stop there. A lot of times there's that step change. You get that cost reduction. Clients want to see that over and over again. And, and just a really good example is we've got a client that had a lot of uh, backlog regulatory uh, filing in the area that they would normally consult on and just throw bodies at this, right? Let's get it done. And what we were saying is, well, that's great for the short term. That doesn't get you any savings out of this. What happens if we come in for the six months, clear the backlog, but also bring our, our deeper subject matter experts to help with that process, do some QA, really get underneath the processes and technology to see what we can help and transform that and convert that into more of a managed services offering for you, looking to drive it and, and have them pay for by outcomes, not necessarily around you know, expenses or um, time and expense on a rate card. And what we really found that was beneficial was it also gave us more insight into how to better improve that process for the client. 
as opposed to just coming in with a standard, hey, here's some technology, let's slap that on top of this and help you get through the backlog. So when we got through this, it got away from this factory, it got into more of that partnership that there's some sustainable revenue or um, cost reductions that we're going to be able to have to be able to reinvest in other parts of the business. And that included taking some of their key people that were having to shepherd those backlogs and putting them into more strategic roles to be able to help drive the top line. And that to me is, is, is paramount in what managed services needs to evolve to, to be able to actually help these clients achieve these kind of financial performances they're looking for the next two years. Well, good. Well, I think that takes us to our second polling question, um, which is, you know, what are the top three drivers for using managed services? So whether you're selling them or buying them, if you're selling them, what are your customers looking for? And if you're buying them yourselves, what are you looking for? Um, so pick three of these. Is it to improve customer experience, employee experience? Is it to improve efficiency by transforming your process, your transactional processes? Is it driving digital transformation? Is it allowing in-house employees to focus more on their core stuff? Is it improving data and analytics, decision-making, reducing cost, driving top-line growth, gaining access to hard-to-field skills, hard-to-find skills, or mitigating impact of talent? So which of these, a lot of, lot of options here, but pick the three that you're feeling are most important. The old cost came out top. Then it was allowing staff to focus on core, digital transformation efficiency came after that. But yeah, interesting. It's it's reducing costs and allowing core activities to be more the focus of the in-house employee. And that feels to me pretty much standard for the last decade, Dave. Does this, does this stand out to you any differently? Yeah, no, I mean, we joked about it earlier. It was, it was nice to finally see cost not be the ultimate winner in, in the client needs uh, going forward, but we know it's a big piece. It has to be a big piece. It, it's obviously what um, a, a lot of our clients are still demanding from us today. So I don't. it's not a surprise there. Um, and, and given what we've been through the last two years, uh, and I'm probably bringing this up a couple of times, but you know, we're going through the biggest um, business continuity tests of our lives, right? By having to um, transition work from physical locations to remote um, in, in, in this in-house employee or new ways of working within weeks, if not days of the pandemic. And to me, there's no reason why that wouldn't have been one of the top ones here because people, you know, people are still trying to figure this out. What's, what's the, What's that new way of working model that we need to all be adhered to in the future? Yeah. So let's go to the second point, which is talking about uh, a more integrated service delivery experience, more consistent to, to drive success um, for clients. And, and you can see that, um, you know, in terms of strongly agreeing technology-led managed services are the most effective also, the fact that providers have to run and build. It's not just come in and build stuff and get the hell out. It's can you stick around and run it? And then this whole people, process, and tech needs to expand. Um, does this uh, line, you know, is this consistent with what you're seeing, Dave? Is, is, this, uh, is this where you think the industry is still shifting? 
It, it, it definitely should continue to shift in this way. And I think what we've got to also realize is that um, technology led doesn't mean that it's just technology. And I think you alluded to that in one of the opening slides where you, know, you, you can't automate uh, your services completely. There's, you can't completely eliminate um, the, the need to have subject matter expertise and to have some labor components in there. Um, you know, cloud, cloud's a great example where there was initially the promise of, hey, if you just move to the cloud, we're gonna give you all these updates. There's no maintenance. There's nothing you have to worry about. We realized that's not the case. Uh, that's a great sales pitch, but you do still need the maintenance. And I'm not just talking about having a, you know, um, you know, a maintenance group that's just processing tickets, but what do you do with those releases? These releases are a lot um, more frequent than they've ever had in the past. And a lot of clients that used to have on-prem used to you know, have processing band-aids that were put in place and um, ended up having a lot of support staff just to maintain that environment. But with the cloud, with these frequent uh, releases, you still need to understand what those are going to be. You still need to have um, folks that are going to come in and test those environments as the releases happen. So there's still a lot more of work that needs to go on to those solutions um, when they're technology, um, technology led than just the technology itself. Yeah, um, and I think this next piece around, um, uh, you know, reasons for choosing a provider here, you know, again, we've got, you know, we pulled out subject matter expertise and, and brand recognition um, here. Um, you know, this subject matter domain area, do you think that's something that's playing a significant part, particularly as you look at what you're doing at KPMG? Yeah, de definitely does. And we, we've been moving into other parts of the uh, business within uh, clients that we never have been before, but building off of that trust that we have with um, our clients from our consulting practice and looking at the run components of their businesses and seeing how we can infuse those um, deeper, I'll say functional and industry expertise into a managed services offering. So a lot of the, the um, you know, let's say banking operations, regulatory requirements, activities that you were talking about earlier, we're seeing our ability to actually integrate that expertise as part of it so that it doesn't feel like it's a every you know 18 months or 12 months another transformation activity has to occur another policy change um, that then requires you to go out and bring in another consulting firm to take a look at how that affects your processes we're talking about building that managed services out and having those expertise as part of that process and for us, it's it's um, not just a bit of a not just a differentiator, but what we're finding is it allows us to stay closer to our clients. It allows us to stay closer to what truly is a transformation journey, and to be able to be quicker to react to those policy changes or to those changes in the environment for our clients. Interesting, and um, I've got an interesting question that's come in from somebody who lives quite near you, I think, um, which is. Uh, are managed service providers truly bringing digital solutions to the table or are they languishing still in this labor-first services approach? So I'm a little bit more removed than I used to be, Phil, in evaluating them all, but I do have a perspective on this. I think there's there's definitely laggers in this. Um, I think, to be honest, the, the, 
the smarter service providers are going to look at their ecosystem that's going to have a, a myriad of providers, both technology and even services, um, to be able to pull them together to provide that seamless solution to our client. So I know for KPMG, um, yes, we have a list of uh, alliance uh, partners, and I know that uh, others will claim the same thing, but we don't pay that just lip service. We're in, in, embedded with them, looking for solutions. How do we just not just take their technology, but how do we ensure we're providing feedback to improve that over time as we work with our clients? So I know that uh, the questions, um, probably the maturity um, spectrum is all over the place with the provider community, but from what I see, it has to move to that ecosystem and of shared partnership. Yeah, interesting. Um, and uh, this brings me to some of our most fascinating ships we're seeing. And this is a piece from our Pulse study, which was taken uh, last year um, around the extent to which uh, enterprises are looking at um, where they're going to get their delivery from. And you can see here, everybody's increasing uh, their needs from offshore and nearshore, onshore, and even location agnostic, which would be like work from home. You can see the non-traditional places like working from home are now increasing more than anything. Offshore is still increasing, but not quite as much. Um, so does it matter now where you get your services from? Is it, is it making a huge difference? Uh, or do you think some of this is just uh, you know, you know, an impact of pandemic with people thinking it doesn't matter? Do you think this will become more relevant again as we go back to physicality? There, it's, um, I'll play a consultant role. It depends, Phil, right? It depends on the situation. But what, what I think this slide calls out, and I really do like this one, is people miss the, the fourth bucket there, right? This is about the ability for uh, workforces to work from home or remote locations, not just the fact that, hey, I, um, I, I live in the suburb, I don't have to commute into town. We're talking about people being able to live in remote locations. And what that's allowed us to do, at least from KPMG perspective, and I know it is for some of our clients, to tap into different labor markets. Um, we're proving out, the pandemic's proven out, you can push more to remote locations. And that doesn't mean it has to be in a different country. It could be a different region of the uh, of your onshore country itself. And what I also really like about this and, and helping it out, the pandemics help us out is I don't have clean rooms anymore. Right. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people on this call will, will talk about, well, we're going to have them back. Right. There's there's people that are saying we got to have them back. We've proved out it's, again, the biggest test of a BCP ever uh, that we've ever his, history. We haven't had clean rooms for a couple of years for some of our clients. And we've you know, put the right protocols in place to ensure the security of their uh, environments. And we haven't had any, any breaches. We haven't had any failures in that environment. So I think, Phil, this has allowed us to really experiment with this you know, new way of working, but breaking down some old barriers that we've been fighting for years. We've had these conversations. We, it's like the cloud conversation, moving into the cloud, getting past that. I think what we've done this pandemic has gotten past the clean room concept or you have to be centrally located 
um, physically to, to be able to work in the firm. Now, I will say this. The one thing that we do find that is a little bit challenging is we do have a lot of you know, new hires in or, or younger hires into the firm that there is the networking, there is that education, there is something to be said about physically locating folks together. And we've been creating virtual hubs. So maybe it's not that, you know, thousand, a uh, couple thousand um, um, facilities, but maybe that's 50 to 100 where we're able to actually bring people together periodically and be able to actually have training courses or training lessons or social events and, and still have that sense of community. So we're starting to play around with some of those types of models. And we've even had a couple of clients that have actually asked us about co-locating with them in some of those I'll call it more virtual hubs. And it's a, it's a fascinating experiment that's going on, but we're finding that that actually has allowed us to attract and retain a lot more talent. Interesting, yeah. I mean, I had a couple of questions that are quite interrelated, but um, the first one um, is asking about with the talent crisis, especially in the US and the accelerated increased pay uh, wages, et cetera, um, do we think work from home is playing a, a more significant role and how significant in the next couple of years? Uh, no, we're seeing it increasing and we're planning for it to increase. Um, we're also planning to change the, the, the workforce um, and it relates to working hours. Um, we were experimenting this before the pandemic where you have individuals that are just looking for a different work-life balance and that may mean that we have um, parents that are dropping their, their children off at school in the morning, want to be able to work, you know, four to six hours during the day and then pick their children up, um, you know, from school. There's a market need for labor like that, even though it's that four to six hours. You know, why are we not actually um, hiring into that or shift work? There are people that do want to have shift work. It's not for coverage. It's just for production, but there's no reason why we can't build that out into that model. And I know a lot of service providers are looking at those, but we see that being at home is allowing us to prove those models out in the last two years. And so now that we're actually trying to really establish that new way of working, I see this, we're just going to increase that over the next two to three years. And um, how does it change things from a, provider perspective, someone like KPMG, for example, um, in terms of um, security platforms that you need, you know, these, um, you know, ways of, you know, having that kind of virtual enterprise with your own delivery staff, how, how's that going to play out? Yeah, and, and we've got our, our security folks that continuously look at it. We have our architecture standards that are put in place. You know, we look at Citrix, we look at VPN, you look at all of the um, tools that were maybe not completely available to us at the start of the pandemic, but quickly needed to um, be, be deployed. And we continuously monitor those environments and they have to be. And again, it's a different, I'll say protocol that needs to put, put in place. Um, but we've had challenges where you, you've got to think through, not everybody may be a candidate to be a, working from home. So maybe it's not necessarily just around the security um, because of the um, uh, connectivity, but just in the uh, type of information they have access to at home. There is maybe still some of that that needs to be required to only be accessed from a central location. Okay. Good. So let's have our 
penultimate poll. And we have three answers required for this one. Um, so top three factors for choosing a particular managed service provider. Is it ability to provide innovative solutions enabled by the right combination of tech? Is it quality of service? Commercial models that incentivize innovation, a famous old adage, uh, deep technical expertise and capability in emerging tech. So things like conversational AI, uh, RPA, that sort of stuff. Um, industry domain expertise and experience, location availability, location availability and flexibility. So what we're just talking about now, that ability to pull stuff from work from home, offshore, nearshore. The ability to provide a broad range of services across the business value chain or having very strong consulting advisory capability. So which of those three uh, are the top three factors now for making these choices? Okay, let's have a, let's have a peek at this one. There you go, quality of service, innovative solutions, domain expertise, Interesting. People aren't looking so much for consulting here. They're looking for that ongoing access to services. That's interesting. So, yeah, I would say, Phil, one of the things that um, conversations we've, we've had with clients, and it's, it's an interesting story that yeah. clients said to me, it's great, Dave, you want to come in and help us transform the business and, 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 and drive continuous improvement. But I, I need to make sure that you're delivering on the services. Operational excellence is, is paramount for them. It doesn't matter if you increase the speed of getting tickets through or, or doing case reviews. If your quality stinks, I'm throwing you out. <laughs> right. So it's kind of nice and, and um, to, you know, to hear a client say it, but to see the poll question come out is that was the number one as well. It's just something that you know, resonates with us. That's why I said earlier that we have all of our focus around performance of our people that drives into our customer sets. And um, nice to see that the polling question reflected that. Good. Excellent. And then um, I've had a few questions around the cost to outsource with tradition, uh, with, with attrition. Um, and it, it's a real mixed bag out there. You know, we're, we're hearing some clients are very, concerned about this others are expecting costs are going to go up with wage inflation and all that and attrition uh what do you think is going to happen in the in this industry in general with with the cost of managing people and these services do you think you're going to see a continual race to squeeze a price or do you think we're generally going to see customers knowing they have to just pay more to get these services now I would say the smart providers have already been hedging and taking a look at things we've been talking about. How do you how do you infuse technology into your services offerings to drive that automation piece, and then offsetting it with a you know, a little bit more of a experienced workforce to be able to help further drive those the labor or manual parts of the processes. Um, that to me is still going to help drive down the the, uh, the overall solution costs, and then moving more to outcome-based pricing will, um, will force the providers into a more managed of their cost structures differently. So I think they're gonna, you're gonna see that push, whether it's a platform play 
or it's going to be more uh, technology enablers like AI or machine learning to help with just getting those, those um, manual steps out of the way. It is not going to slow down the actual um, uh, wages. That's for critical skill sets. We're going to see that continue to grow. The hyperinflation that we see in this last year or so, um, I don't, I, you know, not going to go and say I'm an economist, Phil, and I'm not going to say that we're going to see that continue for the next two or three years. I think it's going to be higher than than it, than it has been previous years to this year, but not as high as this year. I will say, though, there are key areas like our, when you look at cybersecurity and we're looking at managed services specifically around cyber, you're going to see those costs continue to grow. That's why it's so important for them to get more uh, platform plays, more tools in place to be able to drive that cost structure overall down. Interesting. That leads us nice, nicely to the next uh, point, which is around trust. And, you know, we asked around um, how, how do you manage the service change in the next couple of years uh, in our study? And you can see here, we, we've highlighted the need to uh, get more risk and cyber security related capabilities uh, are, are on the rise, uh, not, not quite as much as just IT in general, but they're definitely rising. Uh, is this like the number one area that you're experiencing in KPMG? Yeah, it absolutely is. And I want to make a comment around the trust because um, you know, for KPMG, it's it's a uh, definitely something that from a branding standpoint, we have a very strong brand on the trust. And when I used to refer to trust when I was thinking through as an outsourcing advisor was the trust that a provider needed to have with their, uh, of their clients, right? They, the client needed to trust the provider. But what we're really talking about is that the clients need to have the trust of their stakeholders, right? If, you, if they don't have it and they lose it, it's very hard for them to get back. So as a provider in the service provider community needs to understand that when a client's talking about trust, it's not about with them, it's about what are you gonna deliver to be able to sustain their stakeholder trust. And I think that's really critical. And when we look at things like digital risk and cyber, there isn't anybody that you would talk to, Phil, that hasn't heard or had it happen to them in their environment of some type of breach, right? Ransomware, I mean, and there's cyber experts on this call that'll they'll crucify me for trying to get too detailed in it, but they, they know there's breaches. And it's not about, um, being able to come in afterwards and try and fix that and fail, find the failure and fix it. It's how do you sustain it and be able to quickly react to that? That's what you want out of your provider so that you can try to, to at least mitigate when it does happen so that the trust does not completely go away. You're, you're demonstrating yeah. to the clients that you can help them maintain that trust, even if you have a breach. And that's why it's so critical, I think, going forward that the um, service providers really need to infuse that subject matter expertise with the technology to ensure it's always being evolved. And, and cyber is probably the best example where you look at these monitoring solutions, that's great from a technology play, but if they're not continuously looking at the use cases around threats and the latest threats and how to push that out in the environment, then they're gonna fall behind. And, and that's why I'm saying that, that I'm, I'm not surprised to see that as the second one here, because that is on top of mind for the CIS levels in every client we're talking to right now. Yep. Okay. So let's get straight to a poll based on this, which is, um, you know, 
quite significantly. Do we agree amongst the audience that managed service providers have an important role to play in helping sustain trust and security? Strong, medium, lukewarm. Pretty strong, not maybe as strong as I could have been. And there's a few who disagree completely, so. It's interesting, Phil, to see some folks that would strongly disagree, uh, depending on, I guess, the relationship with the provider. Um, but the way that we were talking about the provider's role and how it needs to evolve in the future, it has to be. Um, I mean, it just has to be an important role, especially when you go back to the, the one ecosystem uh, view, when we're talking about you know the customer experience with the uh, partner experience and the employees group. Um, it, it's hard to disagree that it wouldn't be a part of that. Yeah, and it might be as well that some uh, some companies still want to retain security very much in-house and not out-house. That may, may explain why there's a 13% here who disagree. But uh, increasingly, it's very, very hard to get these people, very, very expensive uh, to get these people and, and, and managing them and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, for example, if you have a small number of cyber experts there's a good chance they're getting poached away by startups, big four, who knows, right? Um, you've got to find someone who's going to manage that for you. And that's not easy either, especially if it's a small requirement. So um, having a continuity program where at least there's some cyber support there could be, could be critical. Um, I've got a question from uh, another gentleman here on the line. He says, KPMG has allocated $160 million to retain talent. No idea if that's a, the number's correct or not, but he's probably got it from somewhere. And other big four are also launching financial incentives. Um, is this approach to retain talent sustainable, throwing money at some of this, the problem, or do you think it's a quick fix as broader issues are addressed? Yeah, I think there's two parts with, with that question. There, there is the um, reaction to the market or proactiveness to the market, if you will, to uh, attract and retain based on what we're seeing that the market's willing to pay for those types of solutions or, or services and resources. But it's also putting programs in place um, to build out certification programs, career pathing. I can speak specifically for KPMG. What we're doing with some of that investment is about making sure that we're bringing individuals in that do have a career that is sustainable uh, here as well. So just like you had said, Phil, you know, when you look at cyber, folks are looking to get scooped up every couple of years because of the higher price. But we're also looking at them and saying, well, what do you want to get out of your career? Where, do you, where can we help you and invest with you into other programs to get you certified for that? Our, our entire cloud um, program is based on bringing individuals in and getting them certified in different platforms into different you know, modulars and, and having that roadmap for them that plays out two and three years long. Those investments are what we're making in our people. And it's paying dividends in what we're seeing as far as the attrition we have in those two key areas, our IT cloud and our cyber. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So a uh, couple more questions I thought we'd tie in here, which I think are quite pertinent, which is um, the reasons behind the talent crunch from the offshore model versus the domestic crunch we're seeing. Are, are we seeing big differences in the drivers behind 
behind these situations in terms of like skill sets and wage inflation? Um, you know, I think the, the drivers that we, we've been talking about is the scarcity of those resources. Um, if, if you're, you're the, uh, I don't say nicely, I don't want to get myself in trouble, Phil. There are clients that we have that are trying to look at their non-core and trying to build out their employees base. And we, we question that. Why would you? Why, why do you want that headache? Why do you want? It's not so much about trying to throw money at it to keep them, but it's the whole recruiting. Where are you going to find them and the cost that it takes to do that? And then what is it that you're building in there to sustain it, not just throwing money at it? Because it is a very hard cost to maintain all at the same time. And you got it up on screen. You got to deliver on quality. So those clients that are struggling with still keeping non-core surprises me. Well, we're, we're having very strategic conversations with clients about those, what I'll say, starting to get into core. And that's why cyber is hitting us so much. It has de been deemed as a core function within many companies for a long time. And we're just now starting to see because of the talent shortage all over the world that they're, they're looking to providers to provide that as a managed services going forward. So yeah. it, it's a lot of different things wrapped up in that question, but it is truly something that internally our clients are needing to ask themselves, is this an area of the business that I want to be investing in? Yep. Okay. So we're running out of time now, but there's one other question I really like. Um, and I, I think you know, we've talked a bit about getting the balance right. And it's like um, this woman's written in and said, she, we get the work from home. Um, but, um, ha, you know, they feel it, she feels it's really important to have strategic thinking done in person, right? So how, how do you truly create a hybrid location model that's, that's really going to work where, you know, we all experience this ourselves. You know, we, we did some offsites last year where we got stuff done in a day we couldn't do on Zoom ever, you know, in these calls. And, but I mean, how, how, how are you going to make this work in terms of the in-person strategy, and the hybrid delivery, the remote delivery stuff. Yeah, and you know, I feel I did mention about some of the virtual hubs where yeah, we, yeah. Do, you know, they are physical hubs at, at some point where you do bring people in periodically. Um, and ironically, KPMG invested very heavily into a training facility down in uh, Orlando right before the pandemic. Just opened it up and shut it down. We have been opening that back up periodically and pulling our teams in for very key strategic sessions to go through that is still pretty paramount for us. And I, and I don't see that going away. And I, I, would, I would hate to see clients moving away from some of that. I think what this has allowed us to do though, is to see how much of the non-strategic work and interactions you can do virtually, and then really focus and maximize your time when you're there in person around the strategic part. Because otherwise, you're right. It's going to take you a month's worth of Zoom calls to get done in what you can in two or three days sometimes. So I don't think that that's completely going away. But the last point on it would be you have a very different workforce that's been entered in the market in the last couple of years that have really only interacted virtually. I've, I've, we've hired a tremendous amount of people that I've only met over Zoom calls, and, but I feel much closer to them 
now than it used to be when we would actually just have conference calls with people and you didn't have that interaction. So I think the workforce is shifting a little bit more comfortable with virtual uh, world than maybe some of us older time timers are. But I, I still think that they're going to always be that physical presence in a room to really get some strategic creative thinking. Yeah, that's right. And if you've started to see the cost of international travel these days, you realize we can't do as much as we used to anyway. I think somebody booked a round trip from the US to India to somewhere else in the US, and it was 70,000. <laughs> yep, it's going to defer a lot of that or deter a lot of that, that type of travel. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Good. So, um, you know, let, let's, uh, we're coming to the end of the hour. I won't read through all of this, you know. I'll share this deck out with everybody and you know we've talked about balancing the use of IT and business process we've talked about the expertise uh, becoming uh, even more important now than just cost and then we've talked about establishing managed services delivery as the foundation to support strategic initiatives and um, some great insights from today I think we're really seeing an emerging difference in how services are going to be delivered and it's very interesting to see firms like KPMG and some of the other big four um, looking at the fact that clients don't just want consulting. They even said that. They, they want to have ongoing regular support um, that can really support them to the next level. But Dave, why don't you sum up, you know, any thoughts that have you come out of come out today from the conversation that, you know, maybe you'll take away and implement when you go back to the office later today? Yeah, the, the, the couple of things, the one that, that I would challenge a lot of the buyers of these types of services to think through is take a look at that portfolio of providers you have today and, and challenge them. Almost like the old days of a, of a, a new C-level person coming in and saying to their existing staff, you got to reapply for your job, right? I want a CV. And a lot of people did maybe have been in those jobs for a long time challenge those existing providers, challenge your existing um, internal team to see if they're incorporating these technology expertise, the business process expertise, and are looking at some of the foundational things we've been talking about all day. I think that's, that's number one. The second thing is that I would really stress that you take a look and reset areas of your business and, and challenge things that you may not have traditionally thought about outsourcing or moving to a managed services, because those are the next waves that it's going to happen. And just like we've been talking, Phil, I joke, but it's been a couple of decades now that you and I have been talking about the outsourcing market. We've talked about things like cloud AI that, you know, at the early days of this, it's taken so long don't lag on this. I, I mean, cybersecurity is one of the bigger ones that I think we're just going to see take off here in the next little while, but also some of the core operations that people are continuing to do. I think that's the other area that people should take away from this and go back internally and, and start taking a look at that. Sure. And the last thing, sorry, last thing is we like to think about it this way, you know, it needs to be a forethought, not an afterthought, right? It needs to be at the front of that discussion about how do you integrate the technology-led solutions with deeper expertise to really make a transformation journey uh, um, as a continuation. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think I've been covering this market for 25 years, probably about as long as you have, Dave. But uh, this is the watershed moment. We, we've kind of been waiting for it, um, but this is the, the real shift that we're seeing right now which is um 
for the first time ever, demand outstrips supply. Cost is coming into the equation still, um, and we need talent to deliver. We need security to deliver. And there's some big questions that clients have to answer, whereas it's not all about big global support contracts and squeezing on price. It's how do you actually get access to talent? And I think we're going to we're seeing investments in nearshore uh, higher than I've ever seen. We're truly having to access every type of uh, talent delivery model we can to be successful, whether it's crowdsourcing, work from home, nearshore, onshore, um, and, and then having that ability to meet in person as well. So, um, you know, this is a in the game to survive long-term play for, for people now. This is not a, how do we hit our numbers for the next few quarters? This is almost about how do we stay in the game? How do we continue to be effective and, and come to the other side? But fascinating time. And, uh, you know, any final thoughts from you, Mark, before we wind this up? No, it was a, what a great discussion, lots of points and lots of great questions. And I really want to thank Phil and Dave for, for um, uh, this incredible discussion. We want to thank everyone for the great questions and for joining us here today. A recording of today's webinar will be available on our website soon, along with the deck. And here's something to really keep an eye on. The HFS and KPMG teams are working on a major report on the study. So keep an eye on hfsresearch.com for that. Once again, thanks everyone for joining us.